0: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad, and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello, and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today, we're going to travel to Cambridge, and that's Cambridge, Massachusetts, because we're going to talk to MIT professor, Yossi Sheffi. Yossi is going to talk to us about supply chains. And supply chains, they affect obviously everyone. We've seen chip crisis recently. So if you wanted to work in the AI field, and 40% of fintech for me relates to AI, maybe you had some issues last couple of years. We can discuss it why, how we can avoid it in the future. or. Many startup, many in the startup community are also into gaming. So finally this year, probably you got your PlayStation 5, right? So in any case, we'll find out more what's behind the supply chains, what's going on and how we can make them better. Welcome, Yossi. How are you today?
1: Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing fine.
0: Brilliant. So what is your backstory? How did you get to do what you do today? I understand you teach at MIT. You've been in this field for quite some time. So how did it come about?
1: I started basically by uh, studying operation research and one of the application was to transportation. So I started with uh, urban transportation, I actually book on urban transportation in the mid 80s. But then I became more interested in private sector transportation, started with trucking networks, railroad, and finally with supply chain from the point of view of retailers, manufacturers, distributors, suppliers and so forth. And that's what I'm doing the last 20 years.
0: I see, I see. All right, so for the uninitiated that are not in your field, let's explain from the beginning because supply chains and supply chain issues have become a mainstream topic last few years. So let's explain what's been going on in the last two or three years when it comes to global supply chains especially.
1: First of all, one has to understand supply chains are vast, huge and complex. A standard misconception is the supply chain failed. Supply chain did not fail. In fact, supply chain managers were heroically successful in the sense that the environment around supply chain changed completely from one day to the next. Take, for example, food. From In March 2020, from literally from one day to the next, all restaurants were closed, all universities, all industries, and people had to get stuff from supermarkets. There was not enough machinery to supply the supermarket because the machinery that goes to, in full pallets, to go to a, a industry or some, or university where they put the food in cafeteria afterwards is not the same machinery that is used to make small uh, 50, 50, not even 50, 10 pound packages or 5 pound packages or 2 pound packages with all the ingredients on them just doesn't exist so one part of the business see demand basically double the part that supply supermarkets and other parts were not still nobody went hungry supply chain actually worked. there were some short uh, times when one could not find the exact cut of meat that one wanted but supply chain kept working clearly there was one failure And this is with the medicines. But this is not failure of supply chain. It's mostly failure of governments around the world. In the United States, for example, we had, during the Clinton administration, the United States built up a central supply of uh, PPEs, of protective equipment, masks, gowns, and so forth. During the Bush administration, it was built up even more. And then it was withered down during the Obama administration and come to nothing during the Trump administration. So we got caught short but uh, because this is something that makes no sense to or it's expensive to to have inventory of in any case with the chips we mentioned before there was a change in the in the ordering it was hard to get back to normal and prices are in large part the result of inflation and uh, of course shortage companies some companies took advantage of shortages But mainly, why were the shortages there? It was because the market was flooded with money and people were buying like there's no tomorrow. And in supply chain, it's basically physics. There's only so much capacity of ports, so so many trucks, so many vessels, so many cars. So it, it couldn't fulfill the huge demand on this asset. So we had all the shortages, but it's now, as expected, equalizing. It's now getting back to... To equilibrium as is the fed the federal reserve is fighting inflation demand is also going down so we will, prices are will come down but it's it, it will take some time for sure
0: all right but let's look at it from the international perspective as well some people say that oh this is also a function of globalization have that has gone too far maybe we should roll back and rethink this there's some critical supplies that we should keep closer to home, whether it's costly or not. So you said food supply chains were able to reorganize things like this. Maybe a lot of that was local, not everything, right? Because you can import oranges from faraway countries or bananas or kiwis or whatever. But what do you think about that? Do we really Will we see some sort of rolling back of these international global chains because of what we have seen in the last couple of years? Or people will now come back to the previous 2019 mentality?
1: The real answer is it depends which items you are talking about. There are certainly for critical, what's called critical supplies that have to do, for example, with national security. So we see huge movement around the world to get, whether it's US or EU or South Korea or Japan, trying to develop their own chip supplies because chips going to every item, including fighter jets. Countries are Started to be wanting to be independent not being dependent on somebody who may become adversary so it's either local shoring or so-called French shoring uh, buying from friendly countries so this is one one area however in many cases one especially we're talking about china here it will be very hard to leave china over the years companies invested billions of dollars in building ecosystem it's not just the final assembly it's the final assembly and the supplier and then the supplier to the suppliers and their supplier and their supplier there's a whole chain supply chain of activities that take place and chinese suppliers have become just very good not only high quality but responsive and fast it's very hard to replace this there is a movement on the margin the movement is not so much at least in the united states and eu not too much to the center of the us or the eu but to places like mexico to places like eastern europe this is getting there's some movement in this area but it's not going to be dramatic it's not going to be suddenly we're not going to be dependent on china or southeast asia part of the reason is no matter how many manufacturing systems manufacturing processes we move out as long as we still depend for example on minerals and materials that are being mined and we are not willing to mine in the united states in europe because it's dirty it's these are dirty processes and it's much easier to outsource this to china when environmental law and social justice law let's say are not as strong as in the us or europe so it's easy to to outsource it to offshore it basically to this type of country the issue, we will come back to money at the end. We're coming back to money because companies that will just be local will have, first of all, one has to understand, if we will decide we don't buy from China or Iran or Russia, they're not going to buy from us. So, as long as we, the more we localize, the more we will have lower scale, smaller scale, which means costs will go up. So, we have a money issue here. Companies will be less competitive if their market is small, and sure there may be more, but even that is not clear because if you have all your eggs in basket, in, in one basket, all your ecosystem of manufacturing and supplier in one country, this country can be hit. So it's not clear that this will work. We need to diversify. That's anybody that deals with money knows this. Anybody deals with finance knows this. We need to diversify sources, not in the same country, but maybe over if a manufacturer in the United States can buy from Mexico and Europe, other places in South America, even some in, from Vietnam, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia, try to go to, to some extent out of China. But as I said, it happens on the margin, does not yet happen on grand scale.
0: All right. So you mentioned that it depends on what it is, right? So security is one thing. Otherwise, retreating from, let's say, China, Southeast Asia is happening, but only on the margins. Okay, understood. Now, when it comes to, as I said, yes, in the media, you see everywhere supply chain has failed us. So when it comes to that, you said, The food has been quite resilient, medicine that also has other factors that we should factor in. But we talked about the chips as well. So maybe let's recap a little bit. Like, why did we have suddenly a chip crisis? We always had new generations of computers, new generation of gadgets and toys and all kinds of things. And we didn't have products which were launched and then you couldn't really buy them for two years. So what happened there?
1: okay what happened there is that uh, there was a period in 2020 when people simply stopped ordering there was a period when demand went down significantly and then the market was flooded with money and it took a while for demand to get up and that's the period that we got the shortages the shortages were not in 2020 the shortages were in 2021 and and even the beginning 2021 2022 even the beginning of, of 2023 that's where we start having shortages, particular in chips. We started having se- several people who build cars, washing machine, coffee makers, whatever. Were not selling too many. Housing market was not uh, was not going strong. Which means all the white goods, everything has chips in it. So all the white goods were not selling. On the other hand, some other stuff was selling. So some chip manufacturers were building, a, were getting contract, long term contract with the people who build computers, cameras, things that people use at home, on the communication equipment, headphones, what have you. And then the market changed and the chip manufacturer could not keep up. The issue with chips, and that's why all these countries, the US, EU, South Korea, Japan are building now chip plants and fabrication plants and other plants because uh, it's a long-term. Building such a plan is three three years, four years, if you have the money, and United States is starting to do it, the EU is doing it, and this country is doing it, but it takes time. We are living now, We are now. just some of these capacity start to come online, but let me give you a prediction right now. In a year or two from now, we will have a glut of chips, and chips prices will go down dramatically. The bullwhip effect is what we talked about, originally you'll have the people will have too many chips they'll stop ordering and we will have a glut of chips so
0: basically what you're saying is the demand disappeared and then it seems like the chip manufacturers simply stopped building and adding to a capacity and then when it came back they couldn't keep up correct
1: more or less they, they, it Particular for automotive, they started diverting the chips from automotive to cell phone and communication equipment, and then which demand stay high. But and then when the cars and refrigerators and coffee makers came back, they just could not keep up because the demand suddenly went through the roof.
0: All right, understood. Now. We talked about the security, the supply chain planning, the bullwhip effect, but there is one other dimension that we shouldn't forget. It's the environment, right? When we now have manufacturers in faraway places and we revisit this, how costly it is or how much of the carbon footprint that creates to send that one box across half the world, what do you think that we should do going forward? Shouldn't we rethink the localization also from this perspective, or we can figure out something that works also for the environment, yet we don't need to abandon the factories in China, build them next door?
1: Okay. So first of all, let me say that environmental sustainability is strictly a supply chain issue because when you measure the impact of a product, you have to look at the entire supply chain. Some companies are measuring it and just saying, "Look how good we are." We are just uh, we put some uh, very efficient plant next door, manufacturing facility, or we use sun and wind and uh, uh, other renewable. It is very easy to outsource the dirty products to places where we have low environment, we have non stringent environmental law. So that's something. So first of all, one has to do is the measurement. As we increase the pressure on companies to reduce the carbon footprint, they'll decide what's best to do. Should they, for example, rebuild or redo the manufacturing plant in Southeast Asia or do it better in the or or start reshoring? One has to have to be careful with the reshoring. I'll give you an example. We did some study. It turns out it's much more efficient environmental-wise, much more a footprint to fly flowers from Costa Rica to Boston than to grow them in Boston. Because in Boston, you grow them in greenhouses that require Boston is not a sunny city most of the winter. So you require a greenhouse which has to be warm and temperature controlled for a long period of time. Turns out it's not environmentally friendly, significant footprint. So one has to really look at it as what, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. And then the question is, are people willing to pay? It will cost more to do it locally. It will cost more to not to use the extensive infrastructure that was built in China and being built now in Vietnam. You can think about a very large plant that's supplying the world, that it sits in Vietnam, versus a smaller plant that supply, or several smaller plants that supply part of the United States and they're locally, western plant, central plant, eastern plant, supply part of the United States. Smaller plant will be less efficient. So the question is, is it efficient? Is it worth it? One thing that we, for example, when we go on the ocean, it actually doesn't take a lot of carbon impact. Ocean freight, is, especially the new ships, are extremely effective, as long as we don't fly the stuff. Because one of the problems is that we want something the next day. The famous uh, Amazon was... You order something from Amazon in Boston, you can get it in two hours. Who needs it in two hours, really? Or even the next day. But the whole supply chain is geared for fast deliveries. These are not... If we can have time, for example, if we can go over the ocean rather than fly stuff, go over rail rather than trucking, things like this will reduce the, the environmental impact significantly. So one has to... There several ways of doing this, not necessarily bringing everything close by, but some of it will come close by.
0: Which reminds me, when you shop online in Switzerland, there is an equivalent of Galax- Galaxus, which is an ex- equivalent of Amazon. And, they, and all the other stores as well, actually, they, they tell you, do you want to pay for the offset, carbon offset? Do you pay a little bit extra, etc.? But also, they ask you, is it not urgent? Can we spread it out and optimize our supply chain so we don't send it the next day? But as you said, it's about willingness to pay. But also, if you it's not urgent, then it should be cheaper, no? So equally, you should get a discount that people would rather click yes. But to say it's not urgent and I pay the same price, why would I do that?
1: Exactly. So Because companies have to be able to monetize the fact that the delivery Tours are more efficient when you don't have the time to plan. They can put a lot of packages together, going to the same address or to the same streets, rather than just have the truck running around the entire city, having to deliver quickly. So giving them time. This is something that at the end of the day, I think governments can help. In the sense of maybe even regulating it, it says, I'm not sure how to do it because right now it's an arms race between companies who can deliver faster. So as long as this is a metric of performance and people don't have to pay for it really, it's just too convenient. It's just you don't even think about it. It's in the United States. Amazon tried to do some of this. They'll give you a dollar or five dollars if you go, but it's not really $5 in products that they don't sell. So they give you some books, some books that nobody can buy for free if you do. Who needs it? As you say, it has to be shown in the money. That's the only thing that I think will help.
0: All right. So let's talk about digital technology as well, because a lot of people talk about improving visibility in supply chain, consultants, technology consultants, all kinds of firms like this. How can the digital technology improve our supply chains? Yes, the people were quite proactive and they reorganized things locally. But when we have a potential chips or medicine crisis on our hand next time, maybe the AI or any other planning tool can help us to find an optimum route, right? To go around the bottleneck. So... A lot of people use Waze, and Waze tells you where the traffic is and things like this, where the accidents are. Can we not do it for supply chain? Something like that.
1: Okay, it's a little more complicated to do it on supply chain. I know, chain. but I I, you know, I we need to
0: simplify it so it's clear. Okay,
1: but let's talk about the first thing that you mentioned, visibility. To know where the product is when on its way from Shenzhen to Boston. You want to know where it is. What you want to know it's actually if everything was exactly on time you didn't need to know because you know that in two weeks you'll have the product in your home but it never is because there are too many things along the way that can take place so you want to know in terms of uh, making sure that you get it on time and it's particularly not so much for consumers it's for companies who run just in time who need the part to get to the plant on time because otherwise the plant stops doesn't have parts you want to know where it is because If something happens, you want to be able to intervene and quickly reroute it. And the way you reroute it, for example, it's on a train. You can stop the train, take a container out, put it on a truck, and go directly to the destination. People even in manufacturing plants, people sometimes use helicopters. When a few small parts are, are delayed along the way, if you know where they are, you can go out there and do something about it. So during the pandemic, actually, a lot of the investment was in visibility, which is a combination of Internet of Things, which is sensors. And there are lots of new generation of sensors that can give you not only location, but the temperature. And if somebody opened the the doors of the container or of the truck, maybe there's a problem If some if the package is not moving. And oh, it's been there for two hours on the middle of the road. Maybe there's some problem there. But uh, you want to know it so you can intervene. In terms of, there's also a lot of development in terms of computational ability with all the cloud computing. There's a lot of development in AI. Is just starting to enter. At this point, AI is not uh, usually not used to expedite shipments or find a better way because this required this is the problem with supply chain it requires contracts you cannot just suddenly send something to a different ship send something to a different port send something it requires a contract requires knowing who is going to get the package and what to do with it it's not as simple as a driver changing the route in Waze or google maps or whatever so you need in most of these cases people intervention at this point. Now, clearly, it's not necessarily AI at this point, but just good databases that allow you want to understand what are the options. And in this case, there are companies that have contracts, just-in-case contracts. They pay certain amounts for suppliers, transportation providers, logistic providers they don't use, just so they can use them when something comes up. It's expensive and not too many companies are doing this. But there's a, the investment in every part of, of supply chain planning or execution is huge. Whether it's uh, companies who try to make trucking more efficient by allowing trucks to, to meet each other online, by allowing driver to know where the loads are available and where the next load is available, so should they take this load or not, so they can make better decisions and have less empty miles, a whole network planning that decide when you know you have a new product who should be where you should get your suppliers and how to route it in terms of what should be your plan there are extensive mathemat- mathematical optimization problem that help solve problems like this so digitization is a general thing use spreadsheet using spreadsheet digitization instead of pencil or paper yes it is but we're talking about a larger scale of digitization now, particularly question about AI. AI is used in several parts of supply chain planning. The part, the one part, for example, that I'm particularly interested in is risk management, because to find out if a supplier of yours is going to fail is very hard, because companies use then and bread street or use financial report. These are backward looking statistics, backward looking indicators, because you find out. From from financial report, you find out only weeks and months after the fact what's going on. What you really want, what you really want to do, the best way to do it in real time is to look at the entire all social networks, all media, everything that's published, and use what's called large language model, which is a component of, of machine learning, uh, to. Look over the vast amount of data about a company. And find out if there's anything about redundancies, anything about executives leaving, anything about new bank covenant that, that, that you know, anything about the failed merger and acquisition, anything that shows that the top management may not be paying attention to to the business. Maybe uh, see if suppliers are complaining about terms of payment suddenly. Lots of things like this, which appear in the media, appear on, on social network, being able to analyze vast amount of data quickly and start bringing up showing, you know what, this may be an issue or this company, you should watch it. It's not going to make decision, but it's going to bring it up to the attention of management to say, maybe you should send somebody to talk to these guys.
0: So, you talked about risk management, vendor stability checks, basically, as I would know them, right? Things like this. you talked about digitization that's also supply chains is related simply to the trade finance, a lot of the stuff there is obviously quite ancient and it has some legacy reasons for it but but digitization is a prerequisite for automation, right? so there are many routine things that are happening there and We don't necessarily need to talk about whether a blockchain can help or not, but let's talk about automation, right? So if we automate some of the routine things that are happening in the supply chain, where does this leave humans? What can we do or how can we prepare ourselves for that time when it won't be enough to stamp something on the document in the port and then another person comes and takes it and stamps it with their stamp and things like this, this will not be enough. To employ a human so how can we train or educate ourselves for that time when this sort of routine stuff will be done by machines
1: okay so several things This is a big of course big question that most of people are concerned about but let me just say that uh, throughout the last 300 years every industrial revolution ended up creating more jobs than destroying jobs some jobs were gone but more many more jobs were created And sometimes it's hard to see where the new jobs will be created. Just an example before we go specifically to your question. When Ford put in the assembly line, they de-skilled many jobs. Used to be artisans building cars in a group, and suddenly you just stand along the line and put the same screw over and over again. The number of workers at Ford exploded from a few hundred to about 150,000 at the height of the Model T. But this is not the main effect. The main effect was that cars became cheaper and we started having highways all over the United States and motels and restaurants. Millions of jobs were created in the hospitality industry. So it's hard to tell where these new jobs will be created. So that's one point. I think that jobs are not going to go away. One more example. When ATM came about, people thought there'd be no more tellers because automatic teller machines. Why do you need a teller? The number of tellers more than doubled since ATM came. Why? Because of ATM, opening a bank branch became a lot cheaper. So many more bank branches were opened with some tellers in them. And the number of tellers were more, much more than the number of tellers that lost their jobs. So it's there are so many effects going, uh, going here that's hard to tell. However, most importantly, two things. There will be jobs that require... Not Many jobs are not going to so much disappear as change because they'll require more technical know-how and more ability to understand that the new AI is just another tool. And the question, take, for example, ChatGPT, which most of us have been using. People think it's the end of the world. People will don't know how to write. I look at it differently. Not only me. ChatGPT is just another tool. And instead of fighting it, we have to teach our students, have to teach our workers how to use it best and how to utilize it as a helper in what we do. Because a lot of the technology is simply augmenting technology. It's helping people do the job better or faster or less expensive. So in any case, coming back to what will happen, what is the future? I think the future is not, not pessimistic. I think I'm optimistic, but... There will be a period when we'll have to train a lot more people and it will take a while until society changes and all these new jobs get uh, get created. So there will be some pains, as always were, in the transition. But uh, by and large, I think we'll end up with a very efficient and productive society uh, with a lot more jobs. Some of them even interesting jobs.
0: So let's hope so, which leads me to another question, because yes, now we talk about language models and things like this, and can AI write a poem or a book even that you would actually enjoy? I think we are not there yet, therefore I will ask you, do you have any favorite books that the humans have written, including yours, that you could recommend to, to listeners?
1: My favorite business book is probably The Innovator Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. When he talks, he explains why a lot of disruptive innovation is made by small companies and not by big companies. He said why, why big companies make only incremental innovations and get the existing product better while new companies and startup can completely change the, the lay of the land, so to speak, and actually end up pushing existing companies sometimes aside. I would say this is probably come to mind as my favorite uh, book. But uh, but I should also, I'll have to go back and add one thing about the technology. Because and the role of people, one has to remember that automated systems are not enough. That uh, one needs people. Even we know that AI, the current AI, is making mistakes all the time, hallucinating, makes up makes up result we need to train people to use it but not only this we need to train people to be able to monitor it to be able to understand when it works when it doesn't work we and we need also people who understand the underlying process so if we have some disruption take for example what happened in 2017 when Russia attacked the Ukraine with a cyber attack and Mersk and other big company went offline the good thing for Merckx is it still had enough people who knew how to write a manifest by hand and fax it, but the question is, how do we make sure that we don't lose the ability to do it in a world that is digitizing and is, by the way, subject to more and more cyber attacks? So how do we make sure that if all else fails, there are people who still know how to do the job? So that's another role of people. There's another, there's also... Even with the advanced AI, there's a role of people with terms of empathy and moral judgment and the ability to have context. These are things that's not clear that machines will do very well, at least not in the foreseeable future
0: absolutely understood so the future is bright listen to professor Yossi Sheffi and relax it's all good now how do people find out more about you get in touch if they would like to know more about what you do your research at mit etc
1: so if you don't mind i'll mention that my latest book the, the magic conveyor belt the subtitle is supply chains ai and the future of work is my ninth book most of my book deal with various aspects of supply chains, whether it's sustainability, whether it's risk management, whether it's industrial organization of supply chain activities. So you can look at my book, but you can also reach out to me. The best way is through email, Chefi S-H-E-F-I, at edu. So you can always reach to me, and if I have time, I answer. I try to answer everything, but... I'm. (laughs) To be fair, I'm getting a large number of requests and emails, but I'm always open to it.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll put a note to the book in the show notes. So people, when you listen to this, you can look in the show notes, click on the link, check out the book as well. So thank you so much, Yossi, and good luck to you and to the future of supply chains. So thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Bye-bye.